Hello and welcome to a Science Week-ish edition of Lost in Science. Oh yeah, it's still Science Week, isn't it? It is still Science Week. I am so week. dazed with all this week-long science. It's so just, much science. It's like more than a week somehow. It, it is, yeah, it does seem like more than a week. Yeah, so what, what, what have you been doing in Science Week? What's going on in Science Week, Chris? Well, there is still, obviously we, last week we talked a bit about uh, the various events on around the place. Um, there is uh, still plenty of events. You can go to scienceweek.net.au website. But there is also online, there is the annual Citizen Science Experiment. Every year they put on a Citizen Science Experiment for Science Week. And this year it is the AHA Challenge. Aha! Aha! Um, so that's the first time you heard "Take on Me" by Aha, or it? "Knowing Me, Knowing You" by Abba. By Abba, it could mm. be. no, it's, no, it's not that though, is it? No, it's not. It is what it's about. It's trying to understand those aha moments. You know, when you realise something, and and probably it's been staring you in the face for a really long time. Well, so the example that they give is like, um, what's his face, Archimedes. Yes. Then we're going Eureka. Yes. Because we people think how science works. So if someone realizes something, they have this moment, this this Eureka moment, this aha moment. And but no one really knows exactly how that works and how, how common that is. So um, some psychologists are doing a study on it and they want your help to do to do the study. And because they're thinking that maybe this stuff could be useful you know, for helping people learn stuff, we can figure out how to how to get an aha moment. Yeah, maybe that'll that'll be something where you realise something yourself. It's more profound and learning. Right. So they're they're trying to figure out. So when people did figure things out, that might help people understand things on their own. Yeah, that's right. Right. So what this what this consists of, you can go to a website. It is it's linked from the science website. It's also it's the ahachallenge.net.au. And basically you do a series of brain teasers and the idea is you tell them whether you in doing it you experience an aha moment. And so they try to figure out, you know, what how people are getting these these moments. So they're trying to figure out how people figure things out. Yeah, basically, yes, <laughs> and how common they are, and yeah, and what happens. Like they're doing, they've been doing doing brain scans on people as well. They're not going to scan your brain uh, in this particular online experiment. Not, not through your computer no, can't or anything do like that, that. Through your computer, but yeah, go on and, and yeah, at the very least, you get to do some brain teasers, and that's got to be fun as well. And if you get an aha moment, that could be even more fun. And you could learn something. You could learn something, and so and so might science. True. And speaking of learning things and. Science. Oh, yes. Have you got a story for us this week? Oh, I do have a story for you. Oh, I, I see. I've come in with a lot of stuff here. I've got so much baggage. Um, part of my baggage, of course, is always picking on things that physicists are up to. And being it's, a physicist myself, I am allowed to do this. It's, it's this insider, uh, you know, competition, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. Um, but no, there's um, recently been a, a prize award, the, um, the Breakthrough uh, prize, which do is they a, call it, do, do they call it the breakies? I don't think so. They try to throw themselves the Oscars of science. It's more lavish than Nobel Prize. The prize money is is bigger, and it's given out by Silicon Valley billionaires. Wow. So it's that kind of thing. Uh, and this was awarded to people for their discovery of a theory called supergravity in the 1970s. And this this prize has caused a, a bit of controversy. Uh, in the physics community, a bit of rumbling, because you know, not everyone's so impressed by supergravity. But anyway, so I'll be looking at that and, and trying to figure out whether we think it's it's worthy of a prize or not. Okay. What about you, Stu? Are you um uh, are you curious about science? 
I'm very curious. I'm so curious. I am curious also about some events coming up, but uh, it's it's a science-related event, but it's also probably harking back to my childhood, uh, watching a couple of guys in skivvies on TV doing science live. Well, not live. It was all recorded on TV. But, you know, you could actually see them do science. And I'm talking about the Curiosity Show. And if you happen to be in Melbourne... You can go and see the the two guys from the Curiosity Show, Rob and Dean, on stage with the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra, where they're doing a live uh, sounds of science, sounds like science show. Um, so they're doing a live, yeah, science show a, on a stage. Live Curiosity Show. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and I'm talking to the conductor of the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra, uh, Youth Symphony Orchestra, about how she came to be putting on this show with the with the old presenters of the Curiosity... I shouldn't say old, the former presenters of the Curiosity Show. But uh, the Curiosity Show, apparently they've been uploading all of their old segments online. Oh, and there's great. something like 500 hours worth of Curiosity Show available online. So I'm talking to Ingrid Martin, who's the conductor of the orchestra, who they're oh, appearing fantastic. with. And uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, when you, I think when you're trying to organise something with an orchestra, it's always good to speak to the conductor. Do you know why? Why? They don't have much resistance. Thanks for that, Chris. And on that note, on with the show. Yes, you're listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris and I am talking about the, the richest science prize in the galaxy. All that we know of. <laughs> in the English speaking galaxy in the, in, well in the earth galaxy <laughs> in the Terran sector yeah, of the galaxy yeah, in, this, in this small corner of the Milky Way um, this is the special breakthrough prize uh, it is three million dollars three million US dollars which is about four and a half million Australian dollars currently it's pretty well, it's pretty good because the Australian dollar is not so good but anyway <laughs> and yeah no, and it was recently awarded to Daniel Friedman Peter Van Neuven Huizen and Sergio Ferrara um, for their discovery of supergravity. Now this is this is a comic book superhero I'm not it's aware of. Supergravity. It sounds no. it sounds pretty amazing. Supergravity actually does sound it's pretty like, impressive. Uh, is, is it better than normal gravity? Look, it is. It can do things that gravity can't. That normal gravity can't. But um, no, no. This is um, this has been a. It's a particular theory that they came up with in the 1970s. And yeah, this prize has caused a bit of a controversy with some certain elements of the theoretical particle physics community. You don't want to get them. You don't want to get those theoretical oh, no. particle physicists no, offside. Totally, totally no, not. no, sorry. But yeah, we should probably talk a bit first about what supergravity is. Cause yes, please. You're, you're quite curious. I'm, I'm sure. quite curious. Okay, cast your mind, Stu, back to the disco era. That's not hard. The mid nineteen seventies. They don't call me disco stew for nothing. Hey, uh, so in the in the mid seventies, they had just formulated the standard model of particle physics. You know? So yeah, that was that was a big thing. Um, I don't know if that standard model is particularly a nineteen seventies name. I remember they used to have standard petrol you could get yeah. at the Bowser and Super. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the difference between the two. One had higher octane, I believe. Probably. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Anyway. Someone look it up and tell us. Yeah. That'd be good. Anyway, so this is the standard model, and this has just been formulated, and basically it covered uh, the known particles and predicted some unknown particles, and it covered the forces of electromagnetism and the strong and weak nuclear forces. Yeah. Did not include gravity. 
No. Um, so people tried to include gravity, but it didn't work out so well. They couldn't just staple it on the back of the form or something. Just just add it as an appendix to no, the... No, no, not, not exactly. So so this is like before... This is People talk about quantum gravity, trying to merge quantum physics and general relativity, which is Einstein's theory of general relativity, which describes gravity. Mm-hmm. This is kind of even getting... They weren't even trying to do that quantum version. They're trying to describe it at that particle level. Because right. so, in particle physics, all forces are basically described by um, particles called bosons that um, basically transmit the force between other particles, between matter particles. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, it works very well for these other forces, but gravity is a lot weaker at that scale, so we hadn't seen any gravity particles, but we could theoretically work out what they would be like. Um, So they came up with this particle called the graviton, which would be uh, not that thing that spins around at the show. That's the gravitron. That's the gravitron. Yeah. Um, But this would be a, a particle of gravity, and we knew some of the properties of it. And so then you can do calculations of what would happen with this graviton particle. Now, one of the troubles, though, when you try to do these quantum field theory calculations is that the maths can get quite difficult. Well, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So these particles, these boson particles that transmit the force between the matter particles, which we still call fermions. Yeah. Okay, because they're generally bosons and fermions, and fermions tend to be the matter particles, and bosons are the, the force particles. Right. Um, with the exception of the Higgs boson you may have heard of, but that's a different thing entirely. Yeah. Um, so these particles, these boson particles that go between them, they're kind of only exist for a short period of time. They're virtual particles. So they're like part of the quantum kind of fluctuations. Right. So do they do they pop in and out of existence? Well, they just pop between the fermions. Okay. Essentially. Thing is, though, because it's quantum theory, there could be all kinds of stuff going on between these, these particles. So you have to add up all the different possibilities of what the, the particles would be doing in between the two fermions. Mm-hmm. And they're, basically there are an infinite number of possibilities. Right. What could happen. So that, when you do the math... That does make calculations yeah. quite difficult. What happens is that the calculations become infinite, which is not, sounds like it's not very useful. But we know that these things, the forces are not infinite. So there's this technical renormalization where you basically just scale everything back down. And for the, the forces in the standard model, you can do this. You can basically go, oh, we'll do the calculations, then we divide it by a certain factor, and it gets back down to, a, to the, the right amount. To a number we can actually deal with. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Except it didn't, didn't work when they tried to do this for gravity particles. Right. It just stayed infinite, and it would just, yeah, they could not renormalize the gravity theory. Right. So that was a bit of a problem. But then um, these three physicists, that, whose names I won't read out again, they um, came up with the idea of using something called supersymmetry. Right. Now, supersymmetry was this thing where essentially, I told you there were these bosons and fermions. Yeah. In supersymmetry, you basically say that every, um, every fermion has a boson partner and every boson has a fermion partner. And these are new particles that you just make up. You basically yep. just double your number of particles. So the graviton's partner would be a um, a fermion called the gravitino. They right. tend to put eno on the ends of the boson names. Yeah. Um, with the fermions, they tend to uh, uh, their partners. They tend to put an s in front of it. So the partner supersymmetric partner of an electron is a selectron. Right. And quarks have squarks as their partners. Okay. The naming convention is great. Because they just make it up, yeah. basically. <laughs> so, yeah, basically with the graviton, you have a gravitino, right? Yeah. So this is this is what their idea was. And what happens then is when you do the calculations, the the um, the contributions from each of the supersymmetric partners cancel each other out, and you don't get the infinity. 
it all works out nicely. So you can just renormalize it and get numbers that are yeah. meaningful again. Yeah. Okay. So this is their this is their big idea, and they and they got, they, they got very excited. They talked about the process in this in their press release for this um for this prize. They talked about the process how back in 1976 when they were doing this. Yeah, they, they had to do big calculations on the computers, um, 1970s computers, to figure out. So the big um, ones with the tapes yeah, spinning around. Whether it actually yeah. work. And there's one big calculation. And if it worked, there should be 2,000 zeros coming out in the output. Right. It was like 2,000 decimal places. So they needed to get 2,000 zeros. And apparently the computer worked really slowly and would just do batches. And so you wouldn't know until every batch got. So the guy was sitting there looking at it, would print out where well, the zeros go, phew, that one worked. And then he'd wait waiting for the next one. Then that came back to zero. And he just basically stayed there all night um, waiting to see. Waiting for the zeros to come out. zeros. And yeah. it worked. It worked. They got zeros. Everything cancelled out. They had a found way to do gravity at um, the particle level. And so the calculations worked as far as being able to predict things. Well, no. As being able to actually not give you infinity. Right. Okay. It was not a completely accurate or perfect theory of everything. Yeah. It needed a bit more. Um, so now it, it went on and people built on that and that's where you got things like super strings, which you may have heard of. Yes. Um, so, and that's kind of, the, the, yeah, super gravity led to super strings and that's kind of the thing now that is the the hot thing everyone talks about is what they think is going on with quantum gravity and this kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's significant for being a pathway to, to string theory and at a low, low energies, with um, string theory should look like what you get with supergravity. So you should get um, things like gravitons and gravitinos coming out of string theory. Okay. Because it's based on the same basic ideas. Right. Okay? Now, the problem with this is there's no evidence for any of these things, no experimental evidence. Now, the gravity is quite weak at the particle level, so the graviton could be hard to find, but gravitinos should be detectable. The particles like that should be detectable. And there's been a lot of experiments done, particularly at the, the Large Hadron Collider. They've been looking for supersymmetric particles mm. and have not none have turned up. And it's starting to look like this, although it seemed like a really, really good idea, it probably isn't correct. It's a very elegant red herring. Yeah, pretty much. So what you have now is you've got a lot of people sort of Especially giving up on supersymmetry right. and saying maybe we should give up on string theory as well. Other people just finding ways to tweak string theory to make it all fit. Which Because string theory is it's, it's done in 11 dimensions and much higher energies. You can change a lot of parameters and make it work with anything pretty much. But um, yeah, the basic super gravity and supersymmetry theories are looking pretty shaky because nothing has shown up. So, so people are sort of saying, well, we can't actually show this in the real world, so... Should we maybe just throw it away? Yeah, and this is why some people are criticising the fact of giving $3 million, or um, $4.5 million if you're in Australia, mm. f- as a prize for something that we're pretty sure is wrong. Um, there's a woman who's um, wrote a book last year called Lost in Math, Sabine Hossenfelder. She's a physicist. Um, she's a German physicist, and yeah, she's particularly quite vocal about people being led by these mathematical things. And she said with this one is that this is essentially gives the sends out a message that physics is not really science anymore it's just basically a mixture of maths and philosophy and the worst case just fantasy that <laughs> yeah you're not That's... really doing physics you're basically saying it doesn't matter whether it matches experiment or not it's a really nice theory we'll give it three million dollar prize and also it seems like a very long time after they did the work to get the prize for the work that they did apparently they've been they've been thinking they're in contention for a while they've been waiting kind of every year but okay. it just depends on who's a judging panel right. look other people have defended it because on the basis that it is the, the sort of the, the groundwork for super string theory and there is some 
still more work being built on this, but that could all be wrong as well. Yeah. You know, they're kind of working on the unknown here. But there was one guy um, who's, who I thought his line was quite interesting. Um, he was a theoretical physicist from the University of Cambridge who basically said that, you know, there already is a prize for theoretical physics that is confirmed by experiment. That's the Nobel Prize. Right. This is something different. This is for something a bit more out there. Oh, look, I guess that's fair enough. But is it physics if it doesn't match reality? No, well, there's also prizes for science fiction too, so... Yeah, well... <laughs> so, look, this is kind of the start of a much bigger discussion about, you know, is this... where What is physics doing? Now that we've discovered all the particles of the standard model and the other particles that people hoped to find haven't shown up yet and no one quite knows where to look, then it's starting to look a bit shaky of, you know, can you ask for more money to build bigger experiments and bigger hadron colliders... And yeah, this is a this is a big discussion. Maybe we should dig into because it's something that I'm quite concerned about, being someone who's, you know, worked in theoretical particle physics. Yeah. But in the meantime, yeah, look, maybe it will turn up. Um, Van Nieuwenhuizen, one of the physicists, he uh, we're talking about the the prize. He said he admitted he said that the theory works perfectly fine, and he said that only when supersymmetric particles are discovered will our theory become physical reality. And he said when. He didn't say if. So I think he's still holding faith that the particles will be discovered and he'll be proven right. So you never know. Australia in the 1970s or 1980s, you would probably remember Rob Morrison and Dean Hutton from The Curiosity Show. Uh, that was a science show that ran from the early 70s until 1990, and they produced 500 episodes of the show where Rob and Dean would show kids at home how to do science experiments, and explain the basics of science. Uh, and they're back. Uh, for Science Week this year, uh, the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra is collaborating with Rob and Dean to put the Curiosity Show back on stage. And with me today on Lost in Science, I have the conductor of the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra, Dr. Ingrid Martin, to tell us about exactly what they're going to get up to on stage. Hi, Ingrid. Thanks for joining us on Lost in Science. Hi, Stu. Great to be here. So your background was in medicine, is that correct? Yeah, so my undergraduate degree was in medicine, uh, but I did a lot of music during that time, and that eventually became my main thing. And your main thing now, of course, is being the conductor of the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra. How did you come into that job? Uh, well, I studied conducting overseas for a couple of years, and when I came back, I was really lucky that uh, the orchestra was looking for a new conductor, and I had lots of ideas for 
crazy, exciting concerts, and uh, here we are four years later. Right. Um, did they did they think you were too crazy and they sort of put the leash on you for a while, or did you just jump straight in? Oh, it was a bit of a smooth uh, transition. We started with uh, baby steps, and uh, now we have big uh, undertakings like the concert that we've got coming up this weekend. Okay, so the concert that you've got coming up this weekend has got some pretty well-known uh, nerds involved, I guess <laughs> is one way to put it. So Professor Rob Morrison and Dr. Dean Hutton, who people probably know, well, if they're old enough, probably remember from the Curiosity Show. How did you end up doing a concert with these guys involved? I loved the curiosity show as a kid i can remember sitting on the big fluffy chair at home watching them on tv and recording lots of them onto vhs so that i could watch the episodes over and over again and last year about a year ago i saw a press release saying that they had been releasing all of their old segments on youtube and that they just had a bit of a viral spike gone from 4 million views to 11 million views and number one, I was really excited because I thought, wow, I can watch all of those segments that I loved as a kid and throw out my VHS tapes. <laughs> and Recycle. Thought, you mean recycle your VHS recycle, tape? Yeah, of right, course. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Environmentally friendly. <laughs> and, uh, and then I thought, well, that means that they're obviously still doing stuff and still up and running as a team. And I jumped on their website and um, found their email address sent them an email it took me hours to craft this email and say you know i conduct this orchestra i was a huge fan of the show i would love for us to do a concert together i have no idea what it will entail but i'm sure we can do something together and about 10 minutes later dean called me up on the phone at which point i was completely fangirling having my childhood hero's voice on the other <laughs> end of the phone line uh had, just lost my words for a minute or so uh, and they were really excited about the project and about 11 months later here we are. So if people don't remember the show or they're maybe too young to have seen it obviously they can look it up on YouTube but can you explain briefly what the Curiosity Show was when it was on? It was on every, every week I'm sure if not every day at some points. Yeah so they did in total over the show ran for about 20 years from the early 70s to the early 90s and they did over 500 episodes. Some of them were half an hour but lots of them were an hour so a staggering amount of content and it was basically them explaining sometimes basic but sometimes also really complex scientific concepts and ideas using stuff that you would find at home. So it was all experiments that you could do with you know, a bit of paper and a piece of sticky tape and a rubber band or a box of tissues, that kind of thing. So it was really grassroots, do-at-home science, which was fascinating and wonderful as a kid that you could just, you know, press pause on your VCR and go and grab the stuff and try and do it yourself. And they did them sort of, yeah, they did them all on screen so you could sort of do them and then you would get in trouble for pulling all your mum's... Tupperware and stuff, yeah, all, yeah, all the bits and pieces that you've dragged out of everyone else's rooms in the house to do your science experiments. So, yeah, 
Sorry? I think that egg in the bottle trick is a classic one. Uh, I, I remember that particular episode well, and there was another one with an egg where they got an egg to fit in a square container, which I remember at the, when I was a kid seeing the start of that episode and thinking, this is impossible. How on earth are they going to turn an egg into a square shape? And just being so excited when they explained acid and uh, dissolving the shell to the calcium carbonate of the eggshell and then making this squishy egg. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Yeah, I just yeah, every every single experiment just would be, you know, mind blowing. But um so that was that was their T V show and you have taken them out of the T V and put them on a stage, I guess. Yeah, so one of the things that they've been doing since the heyday of the Curiosity Show is both together and separately, going out into the community and out into schools and basically doing all of this science live in front of people. So what we're doing for our show is gathering all of the different segments that they did to do with um, music and sound and instruments and bringing that together with a live symphony orchestra. So it's all a lot of uh, auditory experiments are they doing in the show? So uh, we're opening the show talking about sound waves and how sound waves work and the idea of vibrations and sound. And then we're going on to meet all of the different instrument families in the orchestra and understand a bit about how they each produce sound and vibrations, which is really what characterises the woodwind and the brass and the strings and the percussion. So kind of explaining why those instruments sound different because of the way they produce those vibrations. Yeah, and then showing you how you can make your own lo-fi oboe at home, for example. Who doesn't want their own lo-fi oboe? <laughs> I know, and I, you know, if, if your listeners end up coming to the concert, they'll, they'll find out that they can even put their lo-fi oboe in their pocket, which is pretty cool. Wow, and I thought, isn't an oboe quite big? Quite big and quite very expensive So just, for a real yeah, one. So a lo-fi one is pocket-sized and cheap. Correct. Amazing. Um, so is this is the other question. This is for people in Melbourne, and our show is a national show. Mm. What are the chances that you're going to take this show on the road so other people can uh, enjoy the Sounds Like Science show? We would love the opportunity to take this show on the road. Uh, it's been amazing. We've had a fantastic National Science Week grant, which is what has made the concert possible to put on. And now that we've created this production and got it all together, it's the perfect thing that could really go anywhere. The other thing that we're doing for the performance is it's all being professionally um, recorded to a broadcast standard, so we're hoping that potentially we might be able to air it or at least put segments on their YouTube channel. Or, or you know, package them on VHS tapes and sell them by mail. That's what we should do. <laughs> Why didn't we think of that, Stu? You can be our marketing guru. Great, great. I'll, 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 uh, I'll sign up for that. But look, if, if people are interested, I think they should get in touch with uh, the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra and let them know how interested they are and encourage them to all load up on a bus and get out to other parts of the country. Absolutely. We would, the orchestra would love that. Who doesn't love a road trip? Who doesn't? Um, 
Okay, well, I think we're running out of time, so I'll have to thank you for joining us, um, Artistic Director for the Victorian Youth Symphony Orchestra, Dr Ingrid Martin, uh, who is the conductor of the orchestra and is uh, conducting the Sounds Like Science show with Rob and Dean from the Curiosity show uh, live on stage in Melbourne um, this weekend. Thanks for joining us on Lost in Science, Ingrid. Great. Thanks so much, Stu. That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.